Grace 412 podcast listeners, what is going on? We are on life group break right now. Um, We leave for camp in one month and we relaunch Grace 412 the week after that. And so these are going to be some bonus episodes the next few weeks. I'm so excited about what God is going to do uh, in our youth group, uh, in our individual lives this summer, and then even as we head back into fall semester again in the middle of August. Last year we had this guy named Bill Allison from Cadre Ministries come to camp with us, and we went through the one another's of Scripture. Our theme was one another, and we talked about how we can better experience um, Christian community, how we can grow together, how we can better love one another. And this year, we're going to have Bill come back again. Our camp theme is going to sort of move forward from that idea of one another, and we're going to talk about discipleship. We're going to talk about disciple-making communities. The camp theme is multiply, and the entire goal of it is for us to gain a better understanding of disciple-making and to develop a game plan for disciple making. Just this last summer uh, in May, a couple months ago, we graduated uh, 10 students out of Grace 412. And uh, it was a sobering reality that we are getting older, all of us. Um, The world keeps on spinning. And if you haven't noticed, the world is not getting any better. The world desperately needs Jesus. We desperately need Jesus. And uh, the world desperately needs followers of Jesus who actually act like Jesus. And so what we're going to do is we're going to start to look at what that actually means. We're going to be going through the Disciple Making Genius of Jesus book written by our very own camp speaker, Bill Allison. And over the next three or four weeks, we're going to go chapter by chapter and simply talk about that idea. What does it look like for a follower of Jesus to actually act like Jesus. It's so interesting because in the very beginning, uh, page one, uh, Thomas, I hope I pronounced his name right, Linacre from Oxford University is quoted. And he says, as he's studying the gospels, as he's looking through the life of Jesus, he says, either these are not the gospels or we are not Christians. And that's such a convicting thought because you look at the Gospels and when we read the life of Christ, when we read the Gospels, when we look at even the call for the New Testament church, when we study how Jesus lived and how Jesus loved, and then we look at our own lives, we look at our own Christian communities, we look at this thing that we call church. And I think it's safe to say that we have strayed away from uh, a lot of what really matters. And so all that to say, as an introduction, we're going to be going through this book, The Disciple-Making Genius of Jesus, specifically trying to equip our student leaders going into camp. But really, this is for all of us to be able to look at this book and ask these questions like, how did Jesus make disciples who make disciples? Like, how did Jesus call 12 guys who he then equipped, who then called more, who called more, who called more, who now 2,000 years later, we have this movement, this thing that we still to this day call Christianity. We're going to look at all of this over the next month as we prepare for camp and as we move into fall semester. And so I want to warn you all, this is not um, a typical study like I do. This is not a quote unquote Bible study. This isn't going to be verse by verse or exegetical, but this is going to be biblical. These are practices and ideas taken directly from scripture and directly from the life of Christ. And so throughout the book, there's this simple formula that's laid out for disciple making. And so just so you have an idea of where we're going, what we're going to look at is 
TW, which is time with, times K4, that's this word Kavanaugh, and we're going to talk about that in a few weeks, equals D3, or three-generation discipleship. TW times K4 equals D3, and we're going to look at that over the next uh, few weeks as we study what it looks like to be a disciple-making disciple of Jesus. Um, but kind of simply put right now, he actually, in page 13 of this first chapter, shared Rodney Stark's thoughts on what it looks like to be a disciple-making disciple of Jesus. He said, in regards to the gospel, he said it spread as ordinary people, accepted it, and then shared it with their family and friends. And the faith was carried from one community to another in this same way. It's, 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 that simple. It's not easy, but it's that simple. So the question for us is, who have we shared the gospel with? Like, forget moving to the next step. Forget disciple making and discipleship and Christian friendships and community and all that stuff. Forget all that stuff. Who have we shared the gospel with? Who have we shared our faith with? See, if we keep this to ourselves, it dies with us. But there's this idea that comes along with believing the gospel that means submitting to the reality that Jesus is who he says he is. And if Jesus is who he says he is, then he is the only one worth following, the only one worth living for, and the only one worth emulating. I don't want a single person that I interact with to not see in, in some way, great or small, in some form or another, I, the, the life-changing hope of Jesus. There's this uh, fancy theological way of viewing it, the, the good news of salvation, that is a, a process, right? It's this idea that I was broken and Jesus saved me. That's salvation. I'm still broken, but he has done an eternal work in me. And, and because of that, I am clean in his sight. I've been made perfect. That's justification. Then the idea that I am broken, but he's making me more like him so that I can make much of him. That's the sanctification process. And then one day, his work is going to be complete. He's already in the future. He's already done it. But one day, I'll see it. We'll be truly made perfect. We'll be with him in heaven. That's glorification. See, right now, we're in that sanctification process. We're in that 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 process right now. We're becoming more like Jesus so that we can make much of Jesus. That's why we say, I don't want a single person I interact with to not see that life-changing hope, that good news of the gospel of Jesus. The question one, who have we shared the gospel with? He goes on in the book to point out in the New Testament that it's constantly referring to Jesus as the ultimate example for our everyday life. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He says that in 1 Corinthians 4 and 1 Corinthians 10. Ephesians 5, he says, live a life of love following Jesus' example. In Philippians 2, he says, have the same mind of Christ. In Colossians 2, he says, continue to follow Christ and be rooted and grounded and built up in him, established in the faith. He goes on and on and on. And then the book gives this quote. It says, could it be that Jesus not only came to die on the cross and rise from the dead for our sins, but also to give us a way of life? He goes on and says, the New Testament and Jesus' example prove this fact. Authentic Christianity isn't a subject to be mastered. It's a contagious, Jesus-like way of living that is experienced together and shared with others, starting with our immediate web of relationships. I love that idea. It's not a subject to be mattered. You think about the very nature of following. The very nature of following is ongoing. You can't 
say you're a follower of Jesus if you're not actively following him. Because the second you stop following, <laughs> you're not a follower, right? Even James Clear said it in his book, Atomic Habits. He said, you never achieve a habit. You just keep doing it. That's succeeding. And so the second question is, is your relationship with Jesus ongoing? Are you following him actively? Like, are, are you actively following him? Do you have an actual, real, ongoing relationship with him? Or are you just going to church on Sundays? Or are you just reading your Bible once in a while? Or you think that you and Jesus are close because of the stuff that you don't do. A lot of us think that we're followers of Jesus because we look a lot like what other good church people looked like. We think we're followers because our lives are relatively mess-free, or we think we're followers because of uh, the stuff that we don't do, the rules that we keep, and the practices and traditions that we have. We've been culturally conditioned by our religious experience to actually um, avoid vulnerability and weakness and openness, and we think that that actually makes us a follower of Jesus because we want people to think that we're quote-unquote good, right? But he goes on to explain in the book that genuine relationship is messy. Real life discipleship is messy. You look at the life of Christ, he was constantly in the mess. He was with uh, adulterers and prostitutes and drunks and tax collectors. And it was the religious leaders who had it all together that actually couldn't stand him. And so you look at Jesus' example and you recognize genuine relationship is messy. Real life discipleship is messy. On page 19, Bill says this quote. He says, messiness is often how God deepens relationships. So expect and embrace sloppy agape. He goes on on page 19 to explain what the true cost of discipleship was and, and explain even culturally what it meant to be a follower of Jesus and what it meant to call him rabbi. He explains the Hebrew word uh, for disciple was that word Talmud. And in their day, um, a rabbi would choose the Talmud. And if you were training to be a rabbi, if you were uh, studying under a rabbi, that was a life commitment. It started from a young age. And, and their entire goal as a Talmud, as a student, as a disciple, was to learn and live like the rabbi in every single way possible. I'm going to do everything that he does. I'm going to say everything that he says. I'm even going to begin to think like he thinks. And so we go back to our questions. Is your relationship with Jesus ongoing? And are you following him actively? And a good barometer for that is, is your goal to become like the rabbi in every single way? You see, when you look at it in that light and in that context, all of a sudden it isn't about the high moral standard that I have or the rules that I put in place for myself or the practices that I have in my own strength, but instead it's, do I look more like Jesus? Am I trying to be like my rabbi in every single way possible? And so you say, well, what does that look like for me? He even asked that question in the book. You know, what does it look like for a 21st century believer? Here are some questions, some from the book and some just for us to consider. The first one is, are we building lives, ministries, and churches on a Christocentric foundation or on some other foundation? What is the basis of our faith? Another one is, do you have two or three people who you are pouring into spiritually and who are pouring into you spiritually? 
Another question, if you had to pass down the faith passed down to you without Jesus being at the center, would any sort of behavior change be necessary or could the church press on business as usual? Think about that. If we removed Jesus from the equation of our faith, would, would a lot of things change or would we still be able to do all these things the same? Would we still go to church on Sunday, sing a few songs, have some coffee, have some fellowship and leave? Would we still come on Wednesdays, do our small group, play our game, read a little bit of God's word, discuss how we can be better moral people and then head on home? Would we wake up and pray that God would give us a few things that we want, maybe that he would make us a little bit better people, and then we would end our prayer, say amen, and be done? Like, what about our lives would change if Jesus was removed from the equation? Don't be discouraged hearing these questions, and don't feel overburdened. As he says in the book, we don't make this change happen. God does. We, we don't make discipleship happen God does. We, we, we can't even, within our own strength, change our own behavior. It's only by the power of the Spirit transforming us. That's that sanctification process that He makes us more like Jesus so that we can make much of Jesus. And so what do we do? What are the action steps we take? What is our plan? What is our goal moving forward? We're going to get into practicality next week as we talk about TW, as we talk about time with in chapter two. But for now, here are some, some, uh, some engaging questions for us to ask. Number one, where do you see disciple making friendships happening around you? And how can you join in or add to that fire that's already there? Another question, who is it that you can pull close to have disciple-making relationships with? And you say, what in the world is a disciple-making relationship? I've never seen this in context. I've never seen this in practice. Again, we're going to get to what that means and, and how we do that going forward in the book. But for now, how about a cup of coffee? How about having a meal with somebody? How about inviting somebody over? And then just, here's a simple question. Ask this what's God showing you lately? It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be in-depth. It doesn't have to be this serious thing. It's a bunch of people pursuing Jesus together. Who is it that you need to pull close to have Jesus-like disciple-making relationship with? And then lastly, why settle for information, he says in the book. Why settle for information when you can have transformation? This week, as you study and as you pray, ask this question. How can I be more like Jesus in this area? Don't just gain information, but as you study and as you pray, you can have transformation. Ask yourself, how can I be more like Jesus in this area? And then he says at the end, be encouraged. God is at work right where you are right now. You just have to choose to see it. And so we're going to pick up next week in chapter two, quote unquote, it all starts with time with. But for today, I just want to leave you guys going into this coming week with the Disciple Makers prayer. I hope you're praying it. I'll be praying it for you as we head into next week and as we head into this camp next month. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving me a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. As I go through every part of this day, help me to love you and love the people who cross my path, starting with my family. Don't let me miss the adventures you are sending my way to live and speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw my heart to you and to specific people you want me to pull close for Jesus-like, disciple-making friendships. 
By your word and spirit, transform me into a follower of Jesus who loves you, loves people, and makes disciples who make more disciples. Ad infinitum. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.